This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Gerwin Griffiths, the under-23s coach for the Army football team. Formerly a youth development phase coach for Yeovil Town, he discusses the development of leaders both in his Army role and with young players, the pressurised setting of the inter-service games and how to prepare his teams for this, as well as the work he does at ECAN, the coach mentoring company set up by former guest Steve Lilly. As always, we'd appreciate any help in the growth of this podcast, so please make sure you share with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. So first of all, go and really appreciate you jumping on and thank you for reaching out. I think it's a really good opportunity for us to um, obviously connect and, and go through your experiences. I guess first question, how are things? How are you? Are you safe and well? Very good, thank you. And um, yeah, I think um, during this pandemic, I've been quite fortunate to, to still have a job. Um, and I'm grateful for that. But also, I've been in work for most of it. So in terms of mental well-being, it, it's just been good to have that routine sort of continue and not be not be disturbed too much. But at the same time, it's it's given me a good chance to also uh, do a bit of reflection, spend some time with the kids and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm all good. How are you? Yeah, all good. All good, Maya. Nice to be able to get back on the grass and stuff and get back to doing some work and whatnot. So um, I think the same as everyone else, been chomping at the bit really to to get back out there and, and see the players and see some football, which seems like with obviously Monday things opening up and, and whatnot, we're, we're on the right path to that, which is good. So I can't complain. Um, so for the people that don't um, know your background and their history, do you just want to talk through, I guess, what your different roles are um, within a footballing context? Yeah. So um, I like it, like most young boys, you know, love, love playing football. I grew up in, in a small town in, in Mid Wales, in, in a place called Tawin, just north of Aberystwyth. And um, decided quite early on that I wanted to join the army straight, straight from school at 16. So that's what I did. Um, you know, I was playing good football at the time. I was in sort of the regional squads, North Wales regional squad, um, playing local football and then joined the army. From 16 through to now, so nearly... Well, 19 years next month. Um, I've, I've had a fantastic career in the army. I've also been able to continue with my passion with football. So, um, you know, played played football for most of that time, um, represented both my sort of cat badge and and the army in the UK and overseas, been on some, some fantastic football tours and then turned into coaching um, more serious as, as my, my son started getting getting to the age where you could kind of walk and talk and uh, that's why I got into coaching and, and pretty much for the last for the last 10 years I, I've been more serious I've been coaching it a bit longer than that um, and, and I've had roles with the FA as a coach mentor uh, I've, I've had a, a role with uh, Yeovil Town working in the youth development phase in the academy there before it sadly um, it, it sadly shut down its academy uh, during during the pandemic and more recently, um, I, I've got involved in a non-league side, Amesbury Town, who are playing in the Wessex Premier Step 5. For the last three years, I've, um, I've been the head coach of the Army Under-23s, which is kind of my, my biggest passion and, and um, the role I absolutely love the most. I'm not going to lie about that. 
um, just something that's that's close to me being being um, a 17 year old joining the army and being in in that squad as a player to then kind of do flip reverse and and now come back as the as the head coach means a lot to me so that's currently what I'm doing I'm also a coach developer for for Steve Lilly's ECAN which is doing which is doing brilliant and I know Steve was a, a guest of yours and and that's that's great to see that it's flying at the minute so yeah that's what I'm doing quite quite busy to be honest you know the full-time role being in the army is is busy enough um but parallel to that I've just been trying to get as much experience and exposure I can as a coach yeah I think obviously Steve came on and he, he was a great guest and spoke about this ECAM project that was kind of in its infancy when he came on um and I think you know he's from what I've seen on social media and people I've spoken to, as you said, it seems like it's flying at the minute, which doesn't surprise me at all with some of the people that he's got involved and obviously him himself being very good. Um, if we, I guess, go to the start in terms of the army um, experience and the army, um, yeah, the army experience in the sporting context. So how does army sport work? Um, what is the structure of it? What does it look like for people that are, you know are in the army and want to continue playing football at a decent level? So, um, I mean, sport is massively promoted in the army, and um, the biggest reasons for that is it, it underpins a lot of what the British Army is about. You know, it's uh, team cohesion, leadership, um, the competitive side, so the will to win. It, you know, it needs to be um, it, it needs to be there sort of weekly um, in in a unit or, or any sort of establishment when you're not in training or not on um, sort of pre-deployment critical works. You tend to find that every Wednesday afternoon is is assigned to sport and locally. So in your regiment, so almost like grassroots, you can play and, and you'll get just a group of guys and girls on the football pitch playing playing football at that level. If they're kind of excelling at that level, they can then represent their cap badge. So you've got different cap badges. So for example, my cap badge, Royal Engineers, you might play the Royal Signals, um, the Royal Artillery, the Remy. And um, you, you tend to get fixtures there once, maybe twice a month. And, and that's, that's, that's pretty competitive. And then the, the sort of the better players from from that league as such would then represent the the army team and the army team play against um some non-league sides but their main um their main sort of fixtures is is the inter-services where they play against both the RAF and the navy um there is also a squad uk armed forces that is uh the, the better players from the army RAF and the navy so that's kind of a structure within football and that's the same for nearly every sport you can probably think about. And that's the beauty that the army um, sort of give back is that I've seen so many people that didn't know they were good at certain sport and, and had opportunities to play at the highest level. And with that comes with overseas tours or fixtures uh, away from the UK. And it, it's, it's fantastic to be honest. So, so yeah, sport has just been a big part of the army life. Um, very similar to college, like I said, is where it's, it's, it's injected weekly or as often as possible. So we know that soldiers and officers get that, then returns in terms of um, leadership on the sports field to then take away or to, to bring back into effectively the, the battlefield, I guess. Yeah, and so 
obviously being in armed forces is naturally very disciplined lifestyle. Um, you have to obviously people's lives are essentially at stake by, you know, the decisions that are made or the way that you act. So how does that transfer into a sporting context? How do you transfer those skills that maybe you learn in a more traditional army setting to then, you know, using them and developing them within the sporting scenario? I guess, um, I guess the beauty with with sort of coaching and playing alongside service uh, personnel in, in sport is that they naturally have that discipline. So whether they are on the firing range or on the sports field, they have that controlled discipline. Um, it's been ingrained through the military that they have to turn up on time with the right equipment, um, you know, good, good bearing and turnout. And that's exactly what you get in, in the sports context. And, I think your question is around um, sort of how do you how do you balance that? Um, but I think I think it, I think it's a good thing in, in terms of how we present ourselves. Yes, they want to win, and they sometimes they absolutely want to kick um, lumps out of each other. But it's it's done in the right way. So, for example, if you get a red card in in a football match, then you have to you you have to explain yourself to the commanding officer, um, and that already is, you know, you've got boundaries and you've got, there's rules there and, and, and it's very rarely they, they get encroached really. So I'd say, I'd say sport is, is, um, is promoted to be fair. It's sportsmanship. And, um, and that's what I, I've definitely seen in my time is that it's just, it's just a bit more controlled. And then from, from your perspective, um, I appreciate we're jumping a little bit here. How do you integrate or how do you use the discipline side that you've learned within the army in a development context? So if you look at your work um, with Yeovil Town, etc., what do you use from what you've learned in an army context within that, within that side to encourage discipline, uh, discipline to encourage leadership, etc.? Have you got any particular strategies you use to be able to increase that within uh, younger people and younger players? I, I think the key f for me with working with young players and how I transfer that is to um, to give them opportunities to lead. So um, I've seen in the past where the coach might say, you're my captain all season um, to a 10-year-old. And, and what that does is it doesn't really um develop the leadership skills in the others so i'm more inclined to <clears throat> look at opportunities to develop the whole group so share that captaincy is one example but also get them to solve problems and sort of lead lead tasks so even my army under 23s um we'll often put them in in groups um get them to present back and think about ideas, set pieces, and they'll present back to the group. So they're almost getting exposure all the time of speaking up in front of the group, having a say, um, having an opinion, taking a team and making decisions. And over time, they get to know each other and they get to know where their strengths are amongst themselves. But most importantly, that gives them an opportunity to lead. And and that's certainly one thing that the army does really well. Once you get uh, promoted or, or selected for promotion or earmarked that you could be a potential for promotion, 
you get put on courses to to develop your leadership so they bring that out of you by putting you in environments where you've got a team of six you're in charge get them from a to b and and, and construct this task um and then they'll get feedback how did they get on as a leader um and and and, and i'm massive into into kind of building that that leadership out of young young people um from quite an early age so those courses what do they what do they look like um i, I know there's probably a load of them that you go on but for you what what would what was the standout course that you went on or you send people to and what does that entail uh, entail in fact over how long so so they, they, they they've changed their wording slightly now but it used to be called uh, command leadership and management skills um an abbreviation of clm and and on there you would um you, you would kind of develop your command leadership management skills but also uh injected quite hard in that in, is a lot of mental resilience so you would go on exercise so you'd be out in the field and you would be out there for a number of days and you'd be kind of sleep deprived and you'd be expected to just kind of keep going um, if there was eight of you in that section, one of you would 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 plan and deliver a task, and that task could be, you know, getting out to a certain area of, of a few miles away and conduct the task, and then come back in for the next set of orders for the next leader to have an opportunity. And that th these tasks and and all and and sort of as you get your plan and orders could be eight hours per person, and you're bouncing from one to the other, and it's. It can get tiring, especially when you're when you're mentally uh, fatigued and, and and physically fatigued. But you come out the other end, and, and you're a better you're a better leader from it. And and obviously, if you show signs that you can't can't deal with that or can't cope with the demands, then it's going to reflect on you as a as a leader. And you might have um, a, a final report that says you're not quite ready for promotion yet. Um, as one as one example but yeah you know the these courses now are starting to get recognized in so cmi i don't know if you've heard of the chartered management uh, institution so they're start these courses are starting to get recognized by the likes of cmi and and you can get you can get your level five in in leadership management through showing the evidence of, of depending on how many courses you've actually done through the army yeah, it sounds similar to uh, on ECAS. I think they do something similar to that in terms of leadership skills, which a few of the guests on here previously have discussed. Just around uh, the people that maybe get flagged as not quite ready um, for promotion, etc. What support mechanisms are put in place to then try and get them to the stage where they are ready, ready for the next step? So you'd go, um, you'd go from your regiment to a central location to to undertake the course and all they'd say so on the course you, you might get 40 students and they're all from different different regiments across the uk um and if they're deemed not quite ready then all they do is they go back to their their parent unit their regiment with almost like a remedial plan is that soldier x you know wasn't quite ready in this area can you as the sort of your chain of command get that soldier ready with evidence um, and submit the paperwork through to us and we can we can validate it and, and maybe issue that that qualification so you're going back to your your parent unit to to sort of 
work on that work on that deficiency so there's a, like a clear um i guess evaluation and re-evaluation process so that the person has you know a concise understanding of what area maybe they need to develop moving forward yeah, yeah and that might be the ability to deliver a plan or um prepare to deliver the plan it, it might just be that that area so actually the delivery of the plan might be brilliant you know they're they're showing they're demonstrating that they're a leader in, in their way that they can deal with um deal with a plan but it's there's some kind of teething issues around delivering the, the set of orders maybe to get them to understand the plan um if that makes sense so yeah like you said it might not necessarily be you're not a good enough leader there just might be parts within the leadership that they're just not quite ready and so transferring this again to youth development obviously you can't you know keep them up for 24 hours and then ask them to get you from a to b or, or whatnot because i think you have yeah. teary-eyed teenagers so how do you go about um, i guess challenging and developing them in a, in a challenging situation or in a challenging environment because i think what you're highlighting there is actually those leadership skills aren't um you know aren't showcased in a really comfortable environment where it might be easy it's a difficult situation you're being asked to do to replicate combat or whatever that might be so how do you go about sculpturing a situation like that for players in a youth development environment I think I think it's I think it'd be similar to how if a player wasn't ready technically what what would you do you'd you'd probably put them in different environments um, to test them to test them technically um, and that might be maybe with another age group or you know maybe age group across whether it is it, it was down or up um, or or in different environments to stretch them technically. Equally with, um, you know, with their leadership, it just might be the very same. So you might want to put them in different groups. You might want to give them more, more exposure to leading. Um, or you might want to simplify things. So strip it right back again. If you've been asked, um, if you've been asked to see them in, in an environment and they've kind of struggled, then can you strip it back and build it back up? So it's almost making baby steps maybe that first step was a bit too much for them or you know leading in front of certain characters might have been too much where it he, this player found it really tough it, it you know trying to lead that that them type of characters where next time you might put them in group that maybe the some of the quiet players that they're going to feel confident um leading that 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 group of players and then that will springboard to the smaller step then to so then um, maybe some, some of the challenging players that are perhaps quite harder to lead. Um, and how, how important do you think personal characteristics are within leadership? Because everyone's going to have different styles and different experiences and stuff. I'd imagine in the army, you know, you're going to have a vast array of individuals from all walks of life and all walks of the country, etc. So how um, differing are leadership styles? And, and how important is it for people to develop like a holistic skill set to be able to deal with all the different types of people you're going to come across? Yeah, I think, I think it's a challenge for sure. And, and 
I think the best leaders are the ones that that are able to to be diverse enough to to get the best out of different players of different cultures and different teams. I think we've seen that kind of in the Premier League. There's there's an array of, of, of backgrounds in in most teams now. And the army's very similar. And I will say that I think managing people in my army in my army role has helped me in my coaching role because the army, everybody's from the different parts of the the world and they've all got a different story. Um, and very similar to young players, they're all different. They might all come from the same place, but they've all got a different story as well, perhaps. So it's definitely helped me. I think I think your your question around um, how do we adapt? I think you you just have to know know your players, know your people, most and you know first and foremost. And I think you just have to wear that different hat for different people. Some one player might need a kick at kick at the backside and and that won't work for for the next player so um and, and I know it's a cliche but it, it it does come down to knowing your people and I heard a great saying the other day actually on the on the ecan workshop is um is, is connection before correction so before you go into any group to try and perhaps fix any problems you've got to connect with with the members of that team first um, and, and the saying that I, I like to use a lot is that um, players don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So despite what leadership style you've got, I think the fundamental is is, is understanding them players and connecting with them and, and caring for them first. And then I think when they've got your trust, um, then it's up to you then to use your leadership style for different players to get to get the very best out of them. And do you think that's changed over generations? Have you seen differences in majority of learning styles and majority of um, leadership styles? Do you think that changes from generation to generation? Hundred percent, absolutely, and and probably more so for me, having spent nearly the last two decades in in the army. Um, when I first joined the army, it was very much um, whatever you did. It was just do that now you know it was do as I say and, and and do it now and with no explanation around it where now the digital age that are coming through as well they probably want to know a bit more about why am I doing this is it in my rights um and, and it just it comes with if you're in a leadership role and you're making decisions you just need to be a lot more careful with what you what you can and can't do, and and why you're doing it. Coaching and mentoring is didn't exist so much. I must admit, until quite recently, um, it was very much if a soldier can't do this job, get another soldier. Um, they're not as redundant, you know. They're not as um, we're not as flush with the army shrinking now, so we've almost been forced to have no choice to coach a mentor um, because we've just got to make that, that one soldier that you might have for that job um, good at that job. And that, that's down, down to that commander or that leader. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's, it's changed massively. If you look at young people in, t in, in general now is that they want to be on their phone and, and nothing else. And that's, that's worrying. This digital age is, comes with some worrying times but equally they're probably a lot brighter 
they can write messages from on their iPad at, at seven years old. And I think sort of our generation, we, we, we didn't have a mobile phone until a bit later on. So maybe there is, there is a, a higher intelligence um, cohort out there now, but they just, you know, you don't see kids climbing trees and having, doing all that type of stuff anymore. It's, it's, it's all digital, it's all on their devices. Um, and of course that's, that's having an impact on our, on our society. And how do you think that's challenged you within your role? Because I'd imagine, you know, you don't want to be one of those people who say, well, back in my day all the time, because <laughs> you, you know, we didn't like it when people did it to us, so you don't want to do it to the end. But how's that challenged you to develop, you know, the range of skills and the range of personalities you need to be able to connect with all those different people? And have you got any specific strategies to do that? I think it's a really tough, tough balance. And I've seen... I've seen people find it tough if they, the example you used there, if, if they're so far, no, in my day we did it like this, so we will do it like this. And, and you can almost stick so true to your guns where you're almost, you, you can't cope when, when things don't perhaps go that way. My approach, to be totally honest, is, is trying to get that balance of what am I trying to achieve against sort of the culture and also trying to teach them some of the old school um, skills that they do, they do need. So yes, you have to be absolutely upfront with what you want them to do. Um, but in such a way where, you know, they're not going to look at you like you've got three heads um, because you, you're saying something that, that was, that was told to you. So really fine balance. Um, but we are the British Army in this in this context, and we have to remain um, kind of professional, and our standards need to be kept kept held high, and we have to be professional at all times. So there is there is a um, an absolute need to to um, to meet them standards, and I think if if the standards aren't met, then we just have to address them standards and some of these junior members that are coming through might have to change their ways but equally if 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 you're trying to deliver something and they're not responding to your way you might have to respond to their way to get them to to to, to fully understand what you want perfect so m moving on from that slightly um i actually played what well, i managed against the under 23s group a number of years ago probably looking at you know eight seven eight years ago now so it would have been a little while ago come up and um obviously it, it was a really thing fierce competition but when you came off the pitch obviously everything led left there etc when um you're going into the into service tournaments or, or games i can imagine that's going to be a highly pressurized and highly stressful environment i'd imagine how do you go about preparing the players to remain controlled and disciplined within those environments? Because, you know, you're desperate to win as each service is, but obviously you don't want anyone to go over lines or step over lines, etc. So how do you go about preparing groups for that environment? Yeah, and it's good. A lot of people do comment on on sort of the inter-services because at, at times... The, 
the emotions can get um, can get the better of the players, and and it suddenly turns into you know a bit of a scrappy competition, and and whoever comes out on top might not necessarily be the best footballing team, but I, th- I think in terms of preparation, I think I think you just need to understand what the fixture looks like um, and try and replicate what the, what that is. And I tend to try and put them under as much stress as I can because that's what the game looks like. So, um, you know, maybe tight situations or overloads. So understanding that, you know, there could quite potentially be a red card and but but are we are we in a position to deal with that if that situation arises or are we for the first time ever we're planning for oh we've got a man short um what do we do now so it's I, I guess to kind of cap this question off it's it's trying to put them under as much stress and challenging situations as you can in training um to help them best prepare but also like the preparation lead up. So the fixtures that, that I wanted before the, the under-23s in the services, I wanted them to play in fixtures where people were watching. You know, there was um there was a lot of a lot a lot of sort of a resting on the fit on the results. So we, we actually went up to Chippenham actually and played up there. Um because I knew that they'd give us a hell of a good game and There'd be people watching, and they'd be under the microscope quite a lot, and that's 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 what inter-service football looks like. And it's, um, I guess, it's just really looking at it and going, what is going to best set us up for this game? What fixtures have we got running into this? If it's easy fixtures and and you're not getting anything out of it, it's going to be really tough come come that first fixture. So it, it's replicating the what the fixture looks like in ways. And would you replicate it in in terms of like warm-ups, et cetera? Would you have certain pre-briefs and debriefs you do between each game that you'd replicate in the series of games moving up to it? Um, I don't know where these these games take place, but would you replicate kind of being in a similar like hotel or barracks, et cetera? What does that look like from, uh, I guess, the operations side um, trying to get the players ready. Um, do you replicate all that side as well? Yeah, yeah, we do. We try and um, it, so if if we know if we know the fixture is going to be a two o'clock kickoff we'll tr- at home, we'll try and get as many two o'clock kickoffs as we can at home. So that routine in the morning stays the same, and we do try and keep the same routine. Um, match day will will we'll look the same routine and. The players kind of, or the captain owns that in terms of getting the group together for a, for a walk or uh, something in the morning. Um, D minus one, if if we call it, sort of, um, that'll be light. You know, we we always try and keep the same routine, and then probably at the start of the week is when we'd have our have our heaviest session and really work on our plan. Nowadays, as well, even you know, even service football now we've got access to analysis, so. Um, we, we've sat there before and really analysed the opposition and, and, and each player and worked out what strengths and weaknesses they, they bring and it gives them peace of mind to know what they're up against then on the following week. Um, they can get a good idea of actually how they could best potentially um, 
get the better of that player or the unit or the squad. So yeah, we've we, we're trying to professionalise it as much as we can, and, and and that's the beauty of it is that not only is there a, a, a quality group to work with, but you, you get the time to work with them, and you know with a bit of time you can you can make anything kind of um, professionalised and have a good clear plan. Um, yeah, good occasions actually. You should come down. So how how often do they take place? And when when the world stops catching fire, I might take you up on that. <laughs> yeah, so they're, they're every year. So um, for the twenty threes, it's it's normally f February time, and then the seniors, um, it's just a little bit later, so March time. They did make a a, a decision um, to to cancel the twenty twenty one. I think it in my personal opinion, quite premature, given the fact that the back half of the year looks like, you know, we could be back to normal, normal jogging. So, um, but they made a decision back in February to cancel the 21 tournament. So I don't know if they could retrace that, but we might have, we might have a, a, a gap this year again. So um, next year, I guess, 2022. And so, obviously, with that being a once-a-year occasion, that's probably adds to the pressure around it because, you know, you look at Premier League, for example, you're either playing the Tuesday or the Saturday after. Um, so if you do have a bit of a stinker, you can rectify that within however many days. Yeah. But kind of similar to the boat race, and I've heard Sean Dice talk, talk about how he... Um, did a bit of learning from those guys in terms of the pressure of it being like a one-off thing throughout the year that you're training for, really. How do you go around managing, um, I guess, the you know, the periodization for the, the lads coming into that, but also the mo emotions leading up to it? Because I can imagine if, you know, if you've got it in February time, you could get it where in October you're going, oh, it's close. And then December you're like, oh, once Christmas is over, we're there. And in January, it like the intensified buildup could obviously again lead to the emotional reaction. So how do you go around managing the months beforehand uh, for the players? So, yeah, on a good season, we could, we could have our first kind of training camp. We call them training camps uh, where we'd have, you know, probably three, four days together and have a fixture in there, but also some, some good training and start, start building a bit of an identity. Um, we, we start that in September and then we try and get a game, uh, a training camp every month. Um, and, and you're right. And I think it's certainly something that I've tried to get my head around is how, how, do, you, how do you kind of downscale the, the tournament, which is just two games. You know, we're not looking at, a Euro tournament here where you could play seven or eight games. It's it's two two games, 180 minutes. So much can go wrong in, in that time and, and by fluke or by chance. And although we, we lost to the better team last year, which was the RAF, you know, we, we conceded to them in the 94th minute with a penalty. And the year before we had an own goal, a red card, um, and again, conceded in the last minute to, to draw the game. So it, it's a difficult one because so many, so many things can happen. Um, you might not get your influential player released from work for that, that two weeks, and he might just had something on for that two weeks, that, the only two weeks of the year that you could probably 
end up without him and you, you you've got to be prepared to have all this so i've kind of probably changed my outlook in the fact that that doesn't become our, our our biggest priority yes it's definitely a tournament that we want to win but developing players over the course of of the season is is where it counts and and i've measured success more on how many players go into the senior team um as opposed to how did we get on in the 180 minutes um but yeah the senior team is 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 different it's all about the bragging rights and and who wins that tournament so slightly different for me than the senior team but yeah i think even the senior team it's it, it's how do we change the mindset of of like like you said is that it can be everything about that that two games and it's built up for a long time we had a we had a guy who um I don't know if you know do you follow swindon swindon town yeah so swindon town you've got tom broadbent there who um who, who was in the army team um and when we were teammates together he i asked him back to come and speak to the, the army in the 23s about sort of um uh, about what what advice could you give and he even said you know he's gone on to play an, a number of league games in in league two and league one and he describes it as there's nothing like it when the inter service is like you you know this is must win you you put your, your life on the line and he's played some big games and some big derbies in in league football and he said that nothing like that <laughs> um which just shows you what what put people kind of value that fixture in the inter services um in comparison to to maybe bigger things so yeah it's it's definitely trying to keep their their feet on the ground, I think, and try and make it not a big deal. But to them, it's it's a huge deal. So you you're almost Fighting trying to the losing battle to a certain degree. Yeah, you, are, you really are. Um, in terms of people that have gone on to progress, um, is there much history of of guys coming out either your setup or the senior setup going into high level football or the pro game? Yeah, so um, Tom Broadbent, which I, I named there, you know, he he made a decision that he wanted to leave the army and try and become a professional footballer, which is, um, you know, fair fair play to him. He really um, he really gave it a shot and got a bit of a breakthrough at Bristol Rovers, and I think he did a season there and, and did really well. And lots a lot of good news stories come of that. You know, the soldier. Um, Soldier's now gone from um, the Royal Artillery, which he was the cap badge he was in, to to professional football, and then he he bounced into Swindon, had a great season last year, obviously gaining promotion, and uh, yeah, he's influential in the in the derby against Oxford this year, and and yeah, and they, the the fans love him, and, and and he's doing really well, and he's he, he's our biggest um, he's our biggest story to date, but. Beyond beyond Tom, there's, there's there's quite a few players that have actually gone on and done really well and gone up through the leagues as well. So the army has has produced a lot of a lot of good footballers. Um, I know that there's a few players in the senior team at the moment that that are sort of playing a good level beyond. Uh, sorry, um, in the national league south at Hungerford, um, and the service the service personnel in in a lot of these top teams. 
because a lot of them have got different stories. They might have got released from from a pro club that they've been at through their whole childhood, got released or maybe not offered a scholar, and then um, and then joined the army, and then not realised actually I can I can be I can kind of be an elite sportsman in in the in the army. So they're the ones that have um, that are doing really well on this on the sports scene at the moment. Perfect. Isn't it? I kind of listen listen to what you say about Tom there. I'd imagine that you know it's become quite a trend for for big events to have speakers come in beforehand just to talk through their experience or highlight certain areas. I'd imagine within your industry, you're going to have some amazing stories from some incredible people. With your time in the army, um, is there one in particular that stood out to you in terms of an individual? Um, who like kind of came in to speak and you know uh, really affected the guys before they went in for these these types of fixtures. Yeah, so um, before I took on the under twenty threes head coach role, I was involved in the senior team as as their performance analyst, and and every year, sort of the night before the first game, the the, the gaffer would would try and get some guest speakers in, and we would, you know get comfortable for the evening, maybe a little bit of a quiz before it. But we, we try and get some, some, um, some leadership chats with people. And we had, um, we had two guys, um, one, uh, his name's Mickey, Mickey Yule, um, involved in, in an incident and, and become an amputee. And he, and he since sort of spun it on his head and become sort of a Paralympian, uh, champion and, and he's he's absolutely fantastic and you know he speaks about his daily struggles and how he he overcomes them so he he's definitely one that sort of sticks out for me and and the other one is a guy called Brian Wood who when he was in the army he was a, an army footballer and he's got a, a huge story and he's doing really well and he's got a a film in his life about to come out on BBC called Danny Boy um and again I've, I've watched him kind of progress um in terms of his brand and his sort of the amount of people that want him as guest speakers because he's got a great leadership story about how he how he um how he had to kind of attack the enemy in a situation in, in iraq and and sort of overcome that and some things in his personal life and mental health issues so he's he's a, a he's got a fascinating story if you know them them two guys for sure are, are two that stick out for me and i imagine what that does do on an eve of these games is probably put stuff into perspective <laughs> kind of linking to what we said before if you've been going on for four months and everyone going you have to win that game you know if you have a guy who comes in to discuss a life or death situation in iraq whilst you guys will probably be acutely aware of that more so than the general public probably does put it into perspective a little bit in terms of say this is a football match yeah this is a football yeah. match i'm playing yeah and 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 i think the the, the biggest benefits it, it reminds us of, of who we are you know we are the army we are the british army and um where the navy and the raf have got similar traits in their in their sort of military ethos we we are the army we are the boots on the ground um so it's it's always good to hear them stories from from soldiers that you know that were fighting for our country and um, 
yeah to remind us that that is what we are about that that brotherhood and that that professional um soldier that we are so how do you create that atmosphere because i know a lot of you know first team environments discuss about you know us against them mentality or you know you want to be a band of brothers etc um how do you go around creating you know that atmosphere or that philosophy that actually you know we are one i mean i look at and i don't mind saying this i look at the welsh for example and i feel like you guys as a nation have that in terms mm-hmm. of you look at the rugby you look at the football etc it doesn't matter if you maybe don't like the guy who's in charge or you don't like some of the players everyone seems to pull together as a tribe and go no no, no this is like our identity um not so much in england i don't think um but how how do you go around doing that and can you do you think you can pull that together in in a team environment with particular strategies i, I think I think, you know, two good examples there, the Welsh rugby and the Welsh football team, for sure. And um, I, I think, I mean, the Wales football used that together, stronger sort of Santa. And, and I think that it, that is key. I think if, if you show that you are, you are in it together, um, the, the beauty that we have in the military is that when we go away, they have no choice. You know, they are kind of on top of each other and, um you're forced to kind of get to know each other and connect and everything. I think, I think in terms of creating that team culture uh, as a coach or a leader, it's, it's, it's encouraging them times that they have together. So for us, we, we will put things in the, in the program where they will do a social event. They will do, um, we will put them in groups quite often and it will make it competitive and, remind them who we are and like a, those two guest speakers you know they you come away from them going I'm in I'm in the army you know this is this that's who I belong to and and I think once they once they feel that belonging and um and they they know that everybody in that in that change rooms or in that in that camp has got their back then I think that's that's how evident it is and I think once you show that you win or lose together and that's the thing, you know, I, I spoke briefly about how, how we, we lost to a 94th minute um, penalty, which was absolutely disappointing. But, you know, we were still, we still went out together and we said, you know, win or lose, uh, we stick together and, we, and we, we enjoy the night and we move on, we move on to the next game. And then we put that right against the Navy. And it, it's, it is one and all in, I think. And I think it's just... Um, yeah, I think it's kind of echoing their messages that we, we do things together. That's what we do here. Um, and it's, it, it's that, that, that phrase I just said there is that's what we do here. You know, it's as soon as a new player comes in, I've started to hear the, the older senior players now, you know, if, if any of them maybe did something that, that wasn't kind of, that was frowned upon a little bit, the idea of seniors players saying, no, 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 we, we, we don't do that here. And that's when, you know, you've got the culture right is when, you've influenced and empowered the, the senior members of the squad to kind of rein in the, the junior members without you even having to speak to them. And I guess the challenge, particularly in the professional environment of football at the minute, is getting that culture in place or staying in a job long enough to get that culture in place because it's so quick changing in terms of people getting the sack 
Um, you look at Richie Wellens at Salford at the minute. I know there's been some stick with Gary Neville on social media, etc. But you know, how can you get that environment in place within six months? Because you know, naturally, there might be individuals you don't get along with who don't buy in, and all of a sudden you're out of a job, and you can't actually get them out of the change room to create that culture. Yeah, and I think it's timing, and I think if you know the example there with the professional managers, it's you could have two two bad weeks in work, and that might be four fixtures, and you've got no points. You and I can have a poor two weeks in work, and we'll still keep our job. And um, it's just a it's just a cruel a cruel industry. And and I guess the guys that are doing so well, I mean, I think I think Harrogate is it. Um, Simon Weaver at Harrogate's, the, the, I think he's he's held his job the longest in all four leagues, and it's like, what 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 are they doing well? It's you know they've they've created a culture and they've created an identity, and they've they've been given time to actually build that team. And um, certain clubs want the result now, don't they? And that's the that's the problem. It's that balance between I want something now, but I also want it to be sustainable. So how how who's the right person to give us that? Yeah, I think there's a bit of a transition at a minute. You've got some slightly younger coaches coming through. Um, it's just interesting. I look at Tottenham at the moment. I'm a Spurs fan and it's challenging. We had Potch for a number of years, did really, really well, didn't win anything. Kind of, um, I think the phrase I saw the other day was sold our soul <laughs> to try and get Mourinho, which I'm not sure I necessarily agree with, but different type of management style. And now there's rumours of him obviously leaving and who you might go from there. So I think it is, um, you want the success, but obviously you also want to be able to go and enjoy watching your team on a weekend, which I think is obviously a real challenging situation. I imagine it must be challenging for you um, coming from a highly, highly efficient and disciplined um, environment to then kind of change over to academy football, which probably isn't that just nature of it because of you know fixtures change from Friday to the Sunday you get you might plan a session for a number of players and one of the kids is ill or injured how did you go around coping with the challenges you face going into that environment and then changing your perspective of okay I've been working with 23s but now I'm working with the under 14 so I need to change the way I'm going to act in order to cater for their needs I think I think any coach now, and you, you you learn it on the on the courses, is that you can't just think that you're going to get your golden sixteen players, and you can have an eight v eight on the size pitch that you imagined. It's you've got to be adaptable, um, you've got to be flexible, and you've got to be real. You know, you've got to be realistic enough to know that someone could drop out just before training. Somebody could get um, especially like parents might not be able to get their child to work. So you, you've got to adapt. So you've got to plan for a session, but then you've also got to plan what if. And that's, I use that phrase, what if, you know, what if two players don't turn up? What if, what if one more turns up? What if you get there and you've got an older player joining in your session? So it's, it's coming equipped with, oh, if this, if that, I will do this. I will play with a magic man. I will play with, a back three. I will play with this. So, I think once you start grasping that as a as a coach, sort of working your way through, I think you you just become a, a better coach because 
it's very similar to the game, isn't it? That your goalkeeper could get injured in, in the warm up, or um, you, you you might have you normally play a black three, but you're playing a, a, a back you know back four and two centre halves because one's injured and, and one gets injured in the first five minutes. What do you do? You might have to play a midfielder in defence. So it's it, I think it's just the needs of the needs of the a good coach. So instead of trying to worry about it, it's it, it's accepting it and accepting that it's it's going to improve you as a coach. But um, at the same time, is you've got to be prepared to stick by your decisions. Um, how, how did I find it? Kind of being military into that, yeah, it's no problem. I've, I like I said, I've been coaching grassroots for for quite a while now and yeah it's it just happens doesn't it i think i've worked on a figure of of about 15 15 20 percent of, of, of uh, your players probably won't arrive that you think um whether that's ill family event or, or something or other you know it's it's you've, you've got to you've got to preempt it yeah, I think that adaptability side is a massive one. I actually discussed this on a podcast yesterday, saying that's probably one of the skills I learned most as a coach when I was doing community coaching is you just have to be adaptable. Like one minute I, I was coaching football, which I was fine with, and then I got beach volleyball that I may have never done before. So having that ability to adapt quickly and kind of calmly and go, you know what, it's coaching, it's set something out. If the kids are having fun, we're good. That's, that's always a good point to be in. Is there anything you think that, um, football could take from the forces in terms of doing things better or do you think there's anything that actually we could have real learnings in football in terms of structurally that might Im either improve the the player's experience or make it more efficient um, being run? Uh, you're, more, you're referring more to the elite environment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think... I think I think looking at looking around the looking around the um, sort of the military circuit now and sort of sorry sorry the, the football circuit and they've got they've got everything you know they've got the analysis and if I look at it from a from a military perspective if we if we were to do a a mission of some kind you know we would we would do an after action review so you know that that's happening in football and. Huddle and, and some of the softwares. My boys are a, a club at the moment, and sometimes I've not even been in the car ten minutes, and and, and his session or his match is is on my phone, um, ready, and, and and it's clipped with with all the actions and interactions that he's had. So I don't need to search through the ninety minute game. I just watch his clips. Um, you know when he when he touched the ball, which is great, and. You know the, the clubs are doing that well. I've I've noticed um, they've started to implement people like um, like um, sports psychologists, sports science. That they're doing it all. They're doing it all in these clubs. I think I think they're probably leading the way. And I think the other way around. I think the army could take a dose of of what some of these clubs are doing. If I'm if I'm brutally honest, but. Um, I think the biggest one probably from, from the military into, into football is probably that mental resilience. Um, it's something that the, the army's kind of always done well and the mental health support, I think you see now in, in place for 
for, for those people in the military is, is fantastic. So mental resilience and, and mental health support are the, probably the two things I'd love to see more in football, especially around um, these players getting released. And you've seen on the news that some people are, are impacted more than others. And I think people kind of do assume as well that the struggles that some, some of these have and that it's affected solely on football, which I think is sometimes a bit unfair on, on the football club. And I think football clubs make these these children better people. And that's that's something I, I absolutely can vouch for, especially with my son. You know, he's, he's had some amazing experiences um, in the academies he, he's been at. And yes, they can build up pressure on themselves that they're going to be this pro and they're going to get 100 appearances and, and, and you know, play for their country. But it's, it's, they, they know that it's really highly unlikely as well. Um, it, it's when the dream's kind of chased um, to the point where it affects their mental health and their well-being. It, 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 it's really tough to see. And the stories that I've read are kind of hard to read. But I, I really do think that these clubs are making these young footballers better people and that's what I think we we need to remember um but like I like I said I would love to see the support that the army has um for the soldiers implemented in in um in youth players so yeah I, I think it's a really interesting time within academies I know uh, I had Dr Richard Elliott on a little while ago on the podcast and he spoke about uh Vance on Pericard who played at uh, Portsmouth and Stoke and discussed heavily the research he'd done with him and the struggles that he had being supported. You know, he left Juventus when he didn't really want to leave. Um, and, like, he turned up in Portsmouth. No one was there to greet him. Um, and so he said he's in a country, he doesn't speak the language, he doesn't know where he's going. Um, and that's quite a common thing. It was a quite a common thing. But I think now, you know, people, are, you know, are... are understanding that if you want players particularly foreign players coming across to settle in well you need to support them and I think that's now trickled down into the into academy setup so I um I look at you know the club that I work for and you know we have psychological support from the players that stays in house that a coach would never find out about um to be able to support them you know we're able to help them with schooling and provide tutoring and you know, if they do get released from the clubs, we keep records in terms of where they are and reach out to support them. I only had a, a, an email the other day, which is brilliant, from a lad who used to be at the club. Um, and he um, was in contact with uh, one of the, the league guys, like welfare guys, and recommended a player because they'd helped him to go out of coach. And he was like, oh, he might be good for Southampton, etc. So I do think that there's a, you know, there's a growing consensus that actually we, we need to support these boys, um, particularly, you know, when you're going for scholars and the stress and whatnot that comes within that. Um, I did my dissertation on losing player identity because of what I've been through. And I think that's something that we can continue to, you know, try and improve and make the boys understand that whilst you're a football player, that's not what all, all you are. You're a person that plays football. Um, so let's focus on the other things that you can do and you'll have other skills to go in different avenues. Like if you told me at 18 that I was going to be setting up a podcast, talking to people, I would have laughed you, laughed you sideways. But 
you know, I've, I'd like to think, developed some skills that have allowed me to do a semi-competent job. Um, and I think, that, you know, that's what you need to highlight to boys. You go, whilst you play football, you're developing skills that can help you in life, help you holistically, and we can give you some great environments and experiences to be a part of being it going abroad or playing other teams or being in a team environment. But actually what you're doing is developing a skill set and a resilience and a work ethic that you can transform to any part of life that you want to, um, mm. or any part of life that will come up and might deal with challenges. And I think if we can focus on that area of, academies and make them realize that you're developing skills alongside your football that will go a real long way to you know reduce the psychological factors if a player doesn't make it because as you said the chances are really small um just you know uh, realizing that and saying yeah but i've had a great journey and did some amazing stuff along the way mm. yeah and and that's you know so what these clubs are doing now is for their players is is fantastic and you know would they get that exposure if it, it, either in another sport or or without football no you know so i'd like to think that beyond beyond the, the dream and and what what might they what what they might think is the real dream um they're, they're becoming better people you know yeah. especially when academies are taking them away the culture from overseas country and you wouldn't get that, you know, you, you get that now and again in school and that's still available to them, but they're getting to play against kids from different cultures and go and experience different different cities and stuff and learning new skills, like you said, it's, it's I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and I, I've said it to my guys before, like I went with a group of under 10s uh, to play Bayern Munich and a few of them were getting nervous. I was like, you guys are crazy. And they were like, what do you mean? I was like, listen, it took me till I was, I think, under 16s or 17s to play against Bayern Munich. I said, and I count myself fortunate that I was able to do have that experience. I was like, you guys are doing it 10. I was like, it's great. Just have fun. I was yeah. like, you'll do it. Like most of your mates will probably be playing at school right now or be doing homework or doing chores around the house. I was like, you guys are getting to play things. Don't worry about it. Um, and I think if you can really breed that mindset into them and go, you know, you're going to have some great experiences um, along the way and you're going to have some memories that you'll look back on and go, I can't believe I did that, then that's a far better thing. And I understand you've got to let kids dream. Um, I understand you've got to let them have those goals and a system in, you know, doing all those things. But I think one thing my family did really well was they were like, okay, what's your plan B? What's your plan C? What's your plan D? And realizing if it doesn't happen, that doesn't mean that's the end of your life or the end of you as a person. It just means that's one door that's closed. Another three have now opened. Go and investigate something else. It will take you places that you never knew. Um, so in terms of the, the work you're currently doing with ECAN, do you want to just briefly go over that? Um, in terms of yeah, what what you're doing there and how you found that whole project project with Steve. Yeah, so St Steve, um, over, over the start of the lockdown, for those that don't know Steve Lilly, and and I know he he done a podcast uh, recently, and and I'm sure it'll be well worth a listen. Steve was working for the FA and and had worked for the FA for a number of years, and, and tutoring was his was his absolute passion, and I think when the F the FA decided to to um, 
to get rid of a lot of its staff. So tutors sort of um, got made redundant. The coach mentoring scheme stopped. So Steve recognised that um, that there was a bit of a void that he wanted to fill and, and started up his own uh, coaching network, um, coaching advisory network, so ECAN. And and um, and what he's done is he's collaborated with um, the people that he he rates um, highly to help him out as a as coach developers and and what he's been doing is is pretty phenomenal that he's offering um, coaches some CPD in the form of whether it's post level one post level two post UA for B um, mentoring at their clubs so grassroots clubs he will he will get a coach developer out to you. And help you and mentor you as a, as a coach or, or a cohort of coaches and it's, it's just been great and and I'm, I'm really pleased with Steve you know he, he comes with um, high credibility I, I, I must admit I never knew Steve I never worked with Steve but I knew a lot of people that, that I trusted massively um, that rated him and when he reached out to me to, to ask me to get involved I absolutely jumped at the opportunity because um, because I I know I know he's going to help me uh, help me grow as a coach and a and a coach developer. So no hesitation from me. And and, and it, although it's in its early days, yet it, it's really getting itself around on social media. And I, I helped um, sort of just just be on a call the other day with the post UA for B um, workshop, which is around um, psych and social. And 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 he's got some absolute fantastic guests um that's helping him out and it's a, it's a no-brainer if you if you're a coach that's struggling to get on any sort of formalized fa coaching calls then definitely worth um giving steve lily a e kind of shout yeah i think as i said at the start i've been following a lot um of the work that he's done and as you said, some of the speakers have been great and some of the content that he has provided out there has been really good. And I've actually got um, a couple of colleagues of mine in Southampton in, in another facet that are using it as part of their um, college boys who are going through their coaching qualifications, supporting those guys coming through. And he said what the, what they've been delivering is really, really good. And yeah, I definitely recommend what you were there to kind of, if, if your club is in need of people to provide a little bit of support definitely reach out to you guys because you've got a wealth of knowledge and um, some really good people and I think you know if you get good people in, in a company that's always a good stepping stone because um, yeah. they can find the information or deliver the content and whatnot so um, listen I, I appreciate we're, we're fast approaching the time we'd allotted for this so I'm going to ask you one last question which I ask um, everyone which is who is the best player you've played with or against and why? Um, uh, wow. So I played, uh, I played in an army, an army sort of celebratory fixture where we, we were celebrating um, 150 years the army FA had been uh, established. And it was also the same year that the, the actual FA was 125th anniversary so we played a fixture of the army against Premier League leg legends um, at, at Medeski um, probably about six years ago and I played uh, I, I played against some, some cracking players in that lineup probably the best one at the, was was Mendieta 
Um, Mendieta, Didi Haman, he was up there. Um, people like Merson and, and Matt Letizia played, but they were kind of, you know, carrying a little bit. Um, Gary Neville was was playing as well, although he was he just got into sort of the commentary side and he put a bit of weight on. But for, for me, Mendieta and Didi Haman were still lean. Um, you know, touch was was immense. Probably one of them too for me. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember watching Mendieta growing up. I think it was Mendieta, John Carreau, and Imar out in Valencia. I think it was a time when they had like the orange away kit or something like that. And those guys I used to love. So for me, that's that's a real blast from the past. I'd forgotten about him, but yeah, great player technically. So just glided around the pitch on the ball and stuff. He was he was brilliant to watch, even though uh, often it meant Tottenham losing to Middlesbrough. <laughs> Probably the, the Chris Camaro played as well. He took me out. He took me out as well. He's um, he was a character, and and you know, and this is where I I love the fact that I watched football in the nineties. You know, and and I can only imagine maybe the eighties again was was another great era. But you know, football back then was Premier League years is my favorite favorite program. I could I could watch that all day long. Um, and fo football was 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 amazing then. You look at the kits and the stadiums and 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 the sort of the camera footage and stuff. It's yeah, exciting games. Yeah, for sure. I think there was there was an element of freedom to it. Like I've I've been watching it recently, and you, like I watch it. Like how has the guy got through that gap? But you realise that like the tactical side isn't as prevalent. So you had people running here, there, and everywhere. I watched. Um, the you know Euro '96 England v Scotland game with Gaza and that goal and like I you'd struggle to see tactical things because everyone was just rotating everywhere. Um, so I think yeah, as you alluded to there, some really interesting times of football and interesting developments for sure. Um, but yeah, nice, no, great. Well, listen, Goen, I really appreciate your time. Um, it's been a, a, a great conversation, um, and I'm sure we'll stay in touch and catch up on. Um, when you are able to get those service games going, we can catch up on how your preparations go in and hopefully I can come down and have a watch. Yeah. No, cheers, Mike. Honestly, it's, it's been a pleasure and uh, I wish you all the best with this podcast and the guests you've had on have been spot on so far. So I, I no doubt that you'll uh, continue to get some more success, mate. Fingers crossed. And uh, as I always say, if anyone has enjoyed this podcast, make sure you share it with a friend. That'd be great. Cheers. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.